If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to go to Matthew chapter 28 with me. I do want to focus on this. I want to try and come at the resurrection of Jesus, though, maybe from a little different perspective than how we often do it. The title of my sermon for Easter of 2022 is this, there's the missional commission of the resurrection. The missional commission of the resurrection. The principal subject of the verses that Vina just read in Matthew chapter 28 is the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And although you'd be like, okay, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's why we're all here today. I want to state again that the resurrection is one of those truths that lies at the very foundation of Christianity. And because of that, it has received special attention in the Bible. Outside of a couple of miracles, one being the feeding of the 5,000, the only thing that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all deal with and actually give large portions, the greatest portions of their Gospels too, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But let me ask you all of this. Have you ever noticed that when our culture, or especially when Hollywood, tries to portray the life of Jesus, we have heard all about his birth, there's multiple movies about his birth, about his, uh, his, his life, and even about his death, but inevitably you will see that the resurrection is often, if not most, almost exclusively, spiritualized. In Mel Gibson's cinematic telling of the crucifixion, which I would say by now is probably the most likely watched movie of Easter of all time in all of human history, and for the most part, I believe it's actually well done. But the film goes out of its way to be real to the point of even being graphic about the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus is real enough. When Roman soldiers take the hammer and drive the nail through Jesus' hand, you really could believe you're seeing the real metal and flesh and wood. And then, but for the most part, when we are at our most emotional, and I dare say emotionally lost. I've been in movie theaters when this movie first came out. I've been gathered in countless small groups. I've shown this film as, as many times at church. And it seems like at the zenith of the movie, when most people are emotionally confused, we sense the pain, the injustice. We are sensing the love and the sacrifice. But it's when we are most confused and built, bewildered, when we're looking for answers, and we almost truly wonder, what does it all mean? That Mel Gibson, like so many other uh, directors before him, when it comes to the resurrection, all you actually really hear is thematic music and a side profile of what might be or might not be Jesus, and you simply flee that faint side view of what we assume is Jesus, but we're left with no idea of what happens next or what it means. And I actually believe that's a great disservice. The old Presbyterian minister, J.M. Boyce, says, in so many movies, there's this ghostly figure of Jesus in the clouds, but there's no resurrection. If the resurrection had been like that, he supposes, I'm sure that Thomas would never have believed in it. And I don't think that Peter or John or any of the others would have either. You see, the only resurrection that counts for anything is a resurrection of the body. <coughs> Excuse me. 
The disciples knew Jesus' resurrection was real. Just see it in the passage. Whether it was the ladies just before dawn or anybody else, when they touched his body, and it was only because of their deeply grounded conviction that he was raised, that they were willing to launch out from their obscure corner of the earth to the whole of the Roman Empire with the gospel. What makes Ukrainian Christians take out Facebook and record themselves singing and praising God? with no seeming fear of being bombed, arrested, or shot if it wasn't because they believe in a real bodily resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul believed in this kind of resurrection. And he knew that a real resurrection is the basis of a Christian faith. That's why he said what he does, and not only verses 3 to 5, but later in the chapter he goes to so far as to say this, that if you and I don't believe in a real, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Christianity is an utterly empty hope, and we are to be of all people most pitied. My friend Jeff used to say, if Christianity is your hobby, you have chosen poorly. There are so many other good hobbies to have. And why is that? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead bodily, physically, literally, if Jesus was mistaken in his announcement that he would rise, if Jesus was mistaken that he was the divine son of God and that he's not God, then here's the bottom line. His death on the cross is not a true atonement for our sins. And by the way, it's good. It's good to agonize over the death and burial of Jesus. And quite frankly, I would be shocked if you're not shocked and encouraged, amazed and discipled and commissioned by the death and burial of Jesus Christ. But if you are not hope-filled and charged up and empowered and given a peace and a calm that transcends your circumstances by the resurrection of Jesus, then frankly, I don't know why you're here. In fact, it's, it's really quite amazing to me. We seem to fawn over the rejection of Jesus. We talk about the guards, the religious, and in today's world, we are definitely obsessed with our culture and what the culture thinks of Jesus. And truly, in today's church, if we're going to be honest, we're far more like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. If I were to poll everybody and you were honest about being honest, many of us would say we're tired and discouraged. Maybe we're questioning or we're doubting. We're wondering what to do or where to turn. Some of you might be even honest enough to say, can we really trust Jesus? Is this all true? Is this really worth it? when you're caring for an ailing parent or a struggling child, when you're wrestling through the loneliness of a harsh marriage, death of a loved one, the loneliness of singleness, the devastation of betrayal, if families have fragmented. We live in a culture in 2022 here in April that our thirst for meaning and belonging is at an all-time high, and yet 
we seem more lost than ever before. I wonder if the reasons our tempers flare and our selfishness shines, if the reason we are self-protective, and God forgive me, unforgiving. Why are we so toxic with our words and yet so incessantly needy for social media approval? Why do we constantly look for solutions and fulfillment to our longings and struggles and desires? Is it because even some of us here today or online, we sing My Redeemer Lives and we clap and we get all jazzed up, but when it's all over and we go out there, we are actually thinking we're praying and coming not to a risen Savior but to a dead one. You might be like, Steve, come on, man. It's Easter Sunday. We just had a pretty revved up music time. Like you should be a little bit more wound up. Well, let me illustrate it, this practical atheism that I think is so much a part of our church. Dan Doriani, a friend of mine, has written a commentary on Matthew. And on this very passage, he writes about an amazing experience that got me thinking about the resurrection and Easter and what we're celebrating. He writes, One Easter, I appeared on a televised panel discussion hosted by a very liberal Protestant on the resurrection of Christ. As it would be, I was the conservative on the panel that also featured a Jewish rabbi and another liberal Protestant, and throughout the program, everybody modeled perfectly politeness. The host took care to let me speak and to understand me, given that I was the minority member of the group. And since, I sought to make one claim. The physical resurrection of Jesus is not simply a story, it is an historical fact. The four of us, he said, I suggested, may readily affirm that Jesus lives on in his teaching, that his spirit yet lives and that there is life after death, and that Jesus enjoys such a life with the eternal God in heaven. Beyond that, I proposed that the entire New Testament and Orthodox Christians through the centuries into millennia that have declared that Jesus' physical body emerged from the grave into which his disciples placed him after his death by crucifixion. His resurrected body had in some ways changed, but it was still roughly like ours. It was solid to the touch. He, he, with his feet, he walked on the ground. With his mouth, he ate food. With his hands, he washed his face. And so he said, I appeal to my fellow panelist sensibilities. I noted that the physical resurrection of Jesus reminds us that God cares about this physical world. If the Father, God the Father, raised Jesus' body, it shows that he cares about our bodies and the bodies of the poor and the sick and the hungry. The physical resurrection even teaches us to care for the environment. For it shows that God takes an active interest in his physical creation, not just the spiritual realm. And he said, I admitted that evangelicals can be escapists so intent on eternal life that they forget about this present life. Now, since the liberal Protestant and the rabbi generally do not affirm the literal resurrection of Jesus, Doriani said, I thought my often repeated insistence on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus would spark a discussion or even a debate. But he said, to my shock, no. None of the other panelists kept agreeing with me or disagreeing me. In fact, one could even say they nodded their head politely and seemed to agree with everything that I said until the moment the camera's lights went off. And he said, immediately after, the nearest panelist leaned over to me and said, now, Dan, of course, 
appreciate all you said, but we don't mean a physical resurrection. I want to give you three things that the resurrection missionally gives to you and I by way of commission. And it's only going to be missional and a commission for us to go and leave here and do something if you actually believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. So here it is. The resurrection gives you and I a mission to encourage each other. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down because I am begging you to let that be our theme of this church for the rest of this year. If Jesus really rose from the dead, if you actually take time to read and listen to what Vina read to us in Matthew chapter 28, again in Luke chapter 24, again in Matthew chapter 16, and again in John chapter 20, you will be shocked to understand that over and over again, here's the theme. People come and discover Jesus risen from the dead. And part one is, I am risen, now go tell and encourage other people that don't know yet. It's instant, everywhere, in all four Gospels. Notice, she didn't read, Vina didn't read, though, verses 11 to 17. And we didn't do that for time and kind of for theme. But there along with back in chapter 27, you have sandwiched in between this an ironic disbelief. The religious leaders know what Jesus said, and they literally try to defend against a claim that they claim they didn't believe. So they go through great pains to keep Jesus dead. They talk about the fact that he had said that he would rise from the dead. So they make arrangements to put him in a tomb and seal it with a stone and seal that up. And then they say, well, that's not good enough because the disciples could come. So then they put an armed guard on it. And over and over again, but Matthew wants you and I to know that on Sunday morning, even before the sun had come up, God was at work. The hope of glory was about to become the living, reigning Jesus. And so as always happens, everywhere in Scripture, this angel shows up and humans fall or will faint. But if you notice in Matthew chapter 28, if you read it, The angel doesn't even care about the guards that have fainted. He doesn't offer to give them CPR. He doesn't even acknowledge them. The day was Sunday, and the two people that come are the faithful Marys. One of them has quite a past. Her name is Mary Magdalene. They were there on Friday for the burial, and now they've returned on the Sunday for the surprise of their lives. And I don't want you to let this small fact pass you by either. Because if Jesus rising from the dead is a story, if it's not truth... But if you wanted to have a conspiracy theory and you wanted to start a lie and get it to be going among the world as a plausible or at least half-credible philosophy or religion, by no means is this how you'd start it. Because in the first century, women weren't even allowed to testify in court. So the very fact that God and the four gospel writers and that Jesus, when he rises from the dead, would appear to marginalized women and validate them as the ones who would be the first ones to see the risen Savior is not the way you would start a conspiracy theory. The only reason you would write this if it actually happened. It must be true. Women were witnesses, and I love what one man says. He goes, here, the daughters of Eve, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, become witness to the Lion of Judah, overturning the deception of Eve and the first fatal sin of Adam, and they have seen Jesus buried, and they now see him alive. And one guy says, two chairs for the two ladies and three chairs for the one true God. So the angel ignores the guards. 
because he's only there to share with the women. But why? And that's just what I want you to see with me today. It's what I think I've been missing for many years. Notice with me, the angel is there with a mission. He sees them, and he wants to revive their faith. And his message for them is threefold. Do you see it? He says, fear not, come and see, go and tell. There's what he says to them. So, fear not, come and see, go and tell. And go and tell what? Go and tell Peter and John. Go tell the disciples, I am risen. Encourage them, comfort them, stir them. Isn't that funny? What is one way we will live by the resurrection in 2022? What is one way we can apply the power and the hope and the grace and the mercy of a risen Savior to your emotions, your hurts, to your shame and your guilt is you need and we need to encourage each other, Jesus is alive. We need to comfort each other with Jesus is alive and we need to stir each other up with Jesus is alive. Steve made mention of it in his prayer in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul told the Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Well, how are we going to bear with each other when we lose jobs, face unexpected tragedy, struggle to find a girlfriend or love or boyfriend and love, fall in and out of love as the world says it? How are you going to fight for your marriage? How are you going to wrestle through your own anxiety or depression? How are you going to find meaning in life if we don't, because Jesus is alive, bear one another's burdens? We are not a collection of individuals. We are supposed to have gathered as a family of Christians who say, I know I've been there. And let me point you to the one who bore it all and conquered it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, are you ready for this? Paul told the Ephesians to tell each other the truth, and then he told the Colossians not to lie to each other. Can I just stop us on Resurrection Sunday and ask us about that as a church? Do we tell each other the truth? And do we not lie to each other? But of interest to me is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the one command that I think we most get from out of Resurrection Sunday is we're told to comfort one another even when it comes to death and grief, Right? When Paul addresses the idea, what are we supposed to do? Because some people thought, because some people had died, that they had missed the rapture, the resurrection unto the life. And he says that when people die, not, and then he says at the very end of it, to comfort one another with these words. But do you realize what the backstory is? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul would say this in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, but for the reason... The reason for this commandment is given in the verses before it. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, serious, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And then, after verse 11, he says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle. So tell each other the truth. Don't lie to each other. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, for this is the will of God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, can I ask you all, youngest to oldest, right here and right now, when was the last time you had a resurrection conversation with yourself? When was the last time you had a resurrection conversation with your spouse or your kids or your friends? Could it be that we're missing out on the power of the resurrection in our lives because we're not sharing the power of the resurrection with the other people in our lives? Well, you might say, Steve, this sounds wonderful and challenging. How do we do this well? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because, you see, the resurrection gives us a mission to encourage, but then the resurrection gives us a mission to disciple each other. Now I want to invite you to go to Luke chapter 24. Go to Luke chapter 24 with me, and I want you to see the resurrection from Dr. Luke's perspective. It is the month of April. Luke is the gospel we are in. But when you come to the gospel of Luke, I want you to notice with me Verses 21 to 24 the most. Now, Jesus has risen from the dead. The Marys have seen him. Peter and John have raced to the, to the tomb, and one outraced the other one. They've seen him, right? But when you come now, days have passed. There's these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And in verse 21, Jesus has come to them, and it says, They don't recognize him, but we had hoped that he who was the one to redeem Israel, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover... Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So this is why I want you to see the extra step. So you start out by encouraging each other, but you'll notice encouragement alone doesn't always get it done. You see, some of you have been through some stuff, and I've been through stuff. For instance, I, I, I know I do this. It's, it's interesting. I can encourage people. If someone says they've gone through abuse in childhood, all of my antennas go off because I've experienced childhood abuse. And I've encouraged many, many people through the horrors and the tragedy and the woundedness of being abused as a child and having their childhood innocence stolen from them. But i got to tell you, it's one thing for me to hear somebody's story and encourage them. It's quite another when we actually do life together, and I can help disciple them through what God has brought me through. See, encouragement is step one. It's not the only step. Then you've got to disciple them. Watch this. I want you to see what I mean. Because this is what it looks like to know about stuff, but not internalize it, and to live it out. But what's missing? Watch this as you keep going in the verses. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, you'll notice he doesn't chide them for not believing the women or the other disciples. He actually challenges them that they are not believing and trusting in the Word of God. He goes, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning, watch what he does, with Moses and all the prophets. So beginning, he takes the Old Testament and he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Do you now see it? The remedy for disbelief and discouragement was not more signs, it was more scripture. It was making the Bible personal. 
It was trusting that if Jesus is alive, then everything, everything in this book is real and trustworthy. So from the youngest of you to the oldest, male and female, men and women, old and young, married and unmarried, the answers for happiness and joy, for calm and peace, for meaning and purpose, for value and legacy, the answers to treating people right and treating people with honor and dignity and love is in the pages of this book. And watch the result of this. Keep reading in Luke 24. And when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now watch what happens. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Now watch what they say to each other. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Watch. While he opened to us the scriptures. That's what excited them. That's what charged them up. It wasn't great music, an emotional service. It wasn't an event. It was the everyday getting into the Word of God. And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So you see the pattern. Now, they used to be encouraged, but they still needed to be discipled. Then they got discipled, and they instantly started to encourage. And there are three other places in in these four Gospels, Matthew 28, Luke 24, Mark 16, and John 20. You have the gathered disciples in the upper room. You've got Thomas that we call Doubting Thomas, Peter by the Sea of Galilee. And what's the solution each and every time of the gathered group or the individual? Scripture and Savior. It always comes down to us trusting in the risen Savior for us to live out the moments of today. One person has said it, too many people want the outcome but not the obedience, the pleasure but not the pain, the answers but not the agony, the crown but not the cross, and it doesn't work that way. Grant Castleberry says, don't minimize the reading of Scripture in the Christian life. Nothing else forms our minds and affections into Christ-likeness like the Word of God. And if you want to show the power of a risen Savior, we need to be missioned and commissioned to encourage each other, and we are on mission and commissioned to disciple each other. And Calvary Baptist Church, the good commission of the forgiveness of sins offered to these first church is what would move into Jesus' great commission that Vina read for the forgiveness of sins offered to the whole world. You see, until you and I believe we are truly forgiven of our sin, you will not be motivated to go out there and tell them they can be forgiven of their sin sin. And that's just true. Alistair Begg put it so simply, a good church is a Bible-centered church. Nothing is as important as this. It's not a large congregation or a witty pastor or a tangible experience of the Holy Spirit. It is men and women who are unapologetic and unshaken from a risen Savior who has spoken through His living Word. And so, The resurrection gives us a mission to encourage each other, and the resurrection gives us a mission to disciple each other. Now, are you ready? The resurrection gives us a mission of commission to the world. Because when you and I get in the habit in here of encouraging each other and discipling each other, then we're ready to go out there. 
J.C. Ryle said, happy indeed is the church whose members not only desire to reach heaven themselves, but desire to take others with them. All kidding aside, is that true of us? If I can be blunt, and I think I can run faster scared than all of you mad, are you content with your fire insurance? Are you ready to go out and tell other people? You don't have to be scared anymore. Because I'm not. I have discovered and found the love of Christ. Spurgeon was more challenging. These are his words that he spoke on Easter Sunday, when this, I think it was the second Easter when he opened Metropolitan Tabernacle. He preached this to his church. This takes boldness. The man who can take deep interest in politics or sports or money-making or farming, but none in the conversion of souls is no true Christian. He is himself dead and must begin to live again. He himself, he is himself lost and must be found. He went on to say in that sermon, we cannot sit down at the feet of Jesus without feeling that we, we must work for him. I defy any man to live near Christ and be lazy. Can you... That takes guts to say that to a church. But the sad truth is, the world in some way believes in the resurrection of Christ than many so-called Christians. Because in the days after Jesus' death, they were the ones consumed with making sure Jesus stays dead. They were the ones that sealed up the tomb. They were the ones that put the guard there. And when the guards fainted and Jesus walks out from a stone that's turned back, then they go. And what happens if you read it in Matthew 28? Then they pay them off. They bribe them. And it's a negotiation. We'll give you this. No, no, I want more. Then we'll, and they spread that. And they tried. Do you really believe that the Christian belief of a God who raised from the dead has made its way around the world for over 2,000 years off the backs of some misfit women and 11 misfit guys is really the greatest conspiracy theory to hit planet Earth? Or it's all true. Why do you and I need to proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead? Because everything hangs on this reality. And of course, I get it. It's the most natural and likely that we all think about this, but you'll not do the Great Commission if you don't trust in and encourage and disciple each other in the Great Mission. So we're commissioned. What happens? Being a Reddit force in Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore into all the world. In Luke chapter 24, he said, stay here and pray, and I'm going to commission you out to the world. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses. So notice, we're to go all to the world, we're to witness to all the world, and back in Matthew 28, teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you. Notice, go to the world and tell them, and then teach them. Encourage and disciple. So we encourage, we disciple, we witness, and then we repeat, and we repeat. It's just like the conditioner and the shampoo. Because folks, we have no hope and no gospel, no promises. We simply must get as much out of this life as we can if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We are justified to watch out only for ourselves if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. 
and maybe we'll even look out for a couple in our close proximity. We are normal to demand justice only for us and equally cry out for mercy only for us. We should eat, drink, and be merry and have plenty of food and milk life and get as much out of it as we can because when we die, it's truly all over. And contrary to every funeral, I hate to say this, heaven didn't get an angel when a human being dies. If there is no resurrection, when a human being dies, we're dead. But if Christ rose from the dead, heaven doesn't get an angel. A human being goes into the presence of Almighty God and is restored and changed. Christians shouldn't be on trial to prove the resurrection, but it seems like we are. I say non-Christians should disprove it. Sit down and explain away to me, skeptics out there that maybe are watching, the accuracy of Jesus' predictions of his resurrection, the congruity of the resurrection with the Old Testament, the empty tomb, the appearance of Jesus after his death, witnessed by over 500 people, the existence of a church over 2,000 years later, the worship of Jesus as God by people coming from a monotheistic religion that radically changed their lives. Explain how also the idea of the resurrection is even possible when Jews and Gentiles in the first century in the Mediterranean world were more skeptical about someone rising from the dead than most modern Canadians. Everybody, one man says, in the ancient world, just like everybody in the modern world knew perfectly well, dead people don't come back to life. There is no record, by the way, from the Jewish literature of this time of people having visions of someone raised to life or a messianic movement claiming their Messiah to be alive bodily or spiritually after his death. If the apostles made up the notion of a resurrected man, it is quite the absolute one-of-a-kind revolution. And by the way, it formed over three days. Funny that. Three days. So explain to me how Christianity same, sprang up so seemingly as fast. See, Paul was right. You don't have a resurrection? Pity us. If you have a resurrection, listen to us, and we should be the most bold. But what if non-Christians should be to us if Jesus did rise from the dead? Then we should pity them, not yell at them. We should love them and point them to the one that has changed our lives. Church, we are called and commissioned and commanded by Jesus' resurrection to go and tell, to testify and to witness. This is true. It happened. How do I know? Because Jesus has saved me and a dead God can't save living beings. This is our message, our anthem, our creed, our hope. Jesus lives so Jesus saves We can encourage each other and disciple each other. And we can go and tell all of St. John's and all of Newfoundland and Labrador. Why? Why is the resurrection so missional for you and I? Why do you and I need to believe in it and trust in it and walk and own it as the most amazing reality? Because we have to be honest about what the alternative is. We live in a cultural church today in which inadequate doctrines of the atonement are formulated to fit our inadequate doctrines of God. One man said that the social gospel of our last days is still too often the gospel of the therapeutic, entertainment, consumeristic church. He writes this, Today our gospel is a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. 
But this Easter, this Easter, we've got to gird up our loins. We've got to speak the true good news. Jesus took the most ugly, wicked, defiled, evil, corrupt, rebellious, hideous crimes of all creation. He took our addictions and our idolatry, our vain ambitions, our superficialities, all the lies we tell each other and our deceit, our greed, our self-righteousness, and the list is longer and longer and longer. And all descended into the hell of God-forsakenness, put it all upon us, and then rose from the dead and can now say, I forgive you, and God can say, I justify you. You are forgiven. And Willemus Brackle says, search the entire Bible and take note whether Christ ever refused grace to anyone or sent away anyone who came to him in truth to be reconciled or sanctified and saved. And then he will also likewise not reject you. Therefore, come. This is the Easter message. Everyone Come to a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. You can trust him and you can hope in his promises. He's never lied. He never will. This life is not. Listen to me. This life is not the end. It's the beginning. All that the world brags about and promises will never pay out. You can look for peace, safety, acceptance, or you can go and try and find affirmation and whatever. Fill in the blank. But only Jesus delivers you. Only Jesus loves you just as you are. But he loves you so much he never never leaves you as you are. Calvary Baptist, Jesus made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see, the mute to speak, and the dead come to life. But it was the same Jesus that came to Adam and Eve when they were hiding and afraid and naked, and he clothed them. He made Rahab the prostitute into Rahab the princess. He made Tamar the turning, conniving, self-surviving woman into the woman who would bear the son in the lineage of Jesus. He made the murdering, adultering David a man after his own heart. He made Samson the world's strongest man, the world's weakest, humblest servant of God. He took Saul the persecutor and made him Paul the lover of God and Gentiles. Peter the self-righteous and self-confident into a servant whose Savior was all he needed and wanted. He made Matthew an apostle from a tax collector, Luke the doctor into the gospel historian, Jesus the lover and respecter of women, gentle to children, meekest of strong men to men. He came to our marriages and our families. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? A Christian, by the way, Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was spared to death as he went to witness to the Anka Indians said, a Christian is the sort of person who can be asked to do whatever needs to be done without retorting, that's not my job. Because Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. So only the resurrection can call us to encourage and disciple and testify and help and be much more than a religion. Because Jesus is alive. He reigns. He's coming back. And all the chaos and confusion of April of 2022 will one day come to an end. And you and I need to encourage each other with that. And we need to disciple each other in God's word with that. And we need to go, go now and proclaim that truth and reality to anyone and everyone we meet. Christ the Lord is risen today. Amen? Amen. Church, let's pray.
Oh, Father God, I pray and I beg of you, Lord, that my friends and my family that are here, those that have gathered here at this building and those that have tuned in online, would hear the truth that Jesus is alive. And Lord, now as we come to sing one final song, Lord, I don't want to assume or presume on anybody. Lord, we cannot have this many people gathered and not have people who are hurting, angry, wounded, discouraged, depressed, struggling. Maybe there are Christians here who have got to ask themselves, what am I believing in? Who am I trusting in? What motivates my love for my spouse or my kids, my siblings? What causes me to evaluate my work and my job and my money and my reputation, my power or fame or control? Lord, maybe there's some here this morning and they thinking right now in a moment of emotional clarity through your spirit, I don't know if I truly trust in the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know. Am I a Christian? Lord, I pray that no one here would be afraid of that uncomfortable thought, but that they would embrace it. You don't send that into us to make us afraid. You send that to us so we'll be desperate to say, oh God, I need you. So, Lord, I pray that any man or woman here, no matter where they're at in life, no matter if this is the first time they've been in church in a dog's age or they have grown up from the cradle in church, Lord, when we are so religious, we just go through the motions, or this whole thing is so new to us, it's all awkward and weird. May we all experience the power that Christ the Lord is risen today. And may we encourage one another and disciple one another and go and testify to the world, Jesus Christ is alive. In Jesus' name, amen.